0: Hey everybody, this is Jason with Curious About Cannabis. Before we get started in today's episode, I wanna make a brief announcement about something that I am super, super excited about, and I'm really hoping that you'll be excited about it too. And that's the release of our Curious About Cannabis workshop series. Now I've been teaching these workshops for years, uh, since like 2015, but always in an in-person classroom environment. And this is the first year where Launching it virtually and opening up to anyone in the world, really, that has an internet connection and a passion for learning. I've really found that these workshops are particularly valuable to medical cannabis patients, their caregivers, as well as clinicians like doctors and nurses, um, pharmacists, and anyone who's wanting to get involved or has recently gotten involved in the cannabis industry, whether it's on the medical cannabis side, the adult-use cannabis side, or in the hemp market, Um, this workshop series is really designed to not only provide you with a solid foundation of knowledge about the cannabis plant and about cannabinoids and the endocannabinoid system and all of these different concepts, but it's also designed to empower you with tools and resources so that you can find high-quality information on your own and you can evaluate that information and so that you can teach yourself once you leave the workshop and continue your education on your own. So it's really, it's not just about empowering you with knowledge, but also empowering you with the tools and resources to uh, seek out more knowledge in the future well after the workshop is over. So if you're looking for an opportunity to work alongside me and some of my colleagues and other people that you've heard me interview here on on the podcast, then you definitely wanna check out this workshop series. So you can learn more and you can get signed up for our upcoming session at www.cacpodcast.com slash learn. That's www.cacpodcast.com slash learn. And as always, thanks so much for tuning into the podcast and continuing to support our work. And a special, special thanks to our patrons that have been supporting the podcast through recurring monthly donations. Um, The podcast definitely would not have gone on this long without your support. So thank you so much. Um, With our patron support, we've been able to now offer over 60 hours of educational cannabis and cannabinoid science content through the through the podcast platform so um i'm eternally grateful for that so with that thanks so much for entertaining this this short little announcement and let's not waste any more time let's get back to the show
1: i'm janice newell bisics i'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and holistic cannabis practitioner at janibus wellness
0: you're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Hey everybody, this is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. So today I am very delighted to be sitting down with Janice Bissex, who runs a company called janabus Wellness. And Um, does all sorts of education work, and she's a registered dietitian, so we have all sorts of fun things to talk about in regards to diet and cannabinoids. Uh, Janice, thanks so much for being willing to come on the podcast today.
1: Jason, it's great to be with you.
0: Absolutely, yeah, and I'm stoked to dive into your story. For those listening, Janice and I just kind of recently became acquainted and um, through a couple of projects that we're collaborating on, and um, just Janice is a delightful person, so I know this conversation will be really, really uh really really good i've been looking forward to it and uh to those listening that aren't familiar with you and janibus wellness and all that sort of stuff let's just kind of um go i guess all the way to the beginning um to where your journey started to discover cannabis and cbd and all this sort of stuff so um just let us know how what is what does that look like what were the sort of first baby steps that sort of started uh pushing you in that direction
1: Well, let's see. I've been a registered dietitian nutritionist for quite a while, and I've done a variety of things. I've written some books, some cookbooks. I was a family nutrition expert. I had a radio podcast. Oh, nice. And a blog. And um, I've just done a lot of interesting things in my career. And cannabis never crossed my radar. I mean, I was in college, and I had some friends who were very much into pot at the time and always wanted me to try it. And I was, you know, I was a nutrition student, a 4.0 student. And I was like, no, no, it's a, it's a gateway (laughs) drug. It's bad. You know, just say no to drugs. And then, (laughs) um, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I bought into all that, all that uh, propaganda. And before I graduated from college, I called my mother and I said, you know what, mom, I really feel like I need to smoke pot once before I leave college. So I'm going to do that tonight. This is what kind of a nerd I was. And she's like, okay, (laughs) honey, you know, be safe. (laughs) So I tried it, you know, didn't love it. And then really, I didn't think much about cannabis for a few decades. And then uh, four years ago, my dad uh, suffered some severe pain. Uh, from a surgery that that really didn't go well. So the doctors gave him all the traditional pain medications, right? right. That's what they do. And he was a very active guy, like hiking and really like projects and was always, always doing something. And these made him groggy mm-hmm. and severely constipated. You know, people don't talk oh, about yeah. that. I'm a dietician, so I can talk about that. He was so constipated that it required a hospitalization for several oh, my days. Gosh. Oh. Now, we don't need to go into detail. But at the end of that hospitalization, I said to his doctor, really, is there nothing else we can do for his pain? And I said, what about medical marijuana? Because I knew that Massachusetts had passed a law, I didn't know anything really about mm-hmm. it. And the doctor said, I think that's a great idea. Oh, wow. Now, as you know, Jason, many doctors would have said Oh no, he's in his eighties. It's not a good yeah. idea. We don't know how he'll react, but because this doctor said it was a good idea that then I kind of panicked because I thought, Now I have to learn about this. <laughs> so I started doing some research and the more I learned, the more I thought, are you kidding me? This has been used for thousands of years. This, this plant medicine, nobody taught me about it. I knew nothing about it. So I learned more. I got my dad certified. We went to a dispensary. We got him a vape pen, drove home. He was in a lot of pain, got home, figured out how to, you know, put the vape pen together and click Mm -hmm. it, you know, five clicks. I'm just going to say five clicks on a vape pen for an 80 something year old man. And it has to be rapid succession. That's a very, very bad design just saying. Okay. So we got got the darn thing on. He took a couple of puffs and he said, okay, I'm going to go upstairs and take a nap. So he stood up and he said, wow. And I said, are you okay? Are you dizzy? He said, I'm not in pain. Mm. And that day I changed my career. I left my business of 15 years, uh, as a dietitian, you know, teaching people how to eat a healthy diet. I went back to school I went to the Holistic Cannabis Academy became a, a holistic cannabis practitioner did some other training and started my business Cannabis Wellness and I absolutely have not looked back it's the most rewarding work I have ever done
0: wow that's that's fascinating and on on several levels i mean um, one using cannabis for pain it is the most reported um, reason why people claim they use medical cannabis, but it's also a very controversial use um, among a lot of researchers because there's sort of debate about, well, does it help with acute pain or chronic pain? And, you know, um, I, no. I've, I've, I've talked with different scientists that uh, are sort of like, I don't know if it actually helps with pain. And I'm a chronic pain survivor myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I can tell you it does. But mm-hmm. um, it, it is really uh, fascinating that the doctor was so open to it. I mean, that's one reason why I said, oh, wow, because um, right especially with a new program that hadn't been really established well yet and everything. Right.
1: And if if the doctor had not had that reply, I would not be sitting here talking with you. Absolutely. I would have continued being a registered dietitian, nutritionist, developing recipes and doing spokesperson work and that's what I would still be doing right now. And I, I, I'm very thankful to that doctor for being open-minded and encouraging me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and what did that um, educational journey that followed when you said, okay, I need to understand this and really dive into it. Um, what did that look like and what were some of the major takeaways as you began to learn more and more about cannabis, especially from your perspective as a dietitian? you know, how did that kind of fit into what you already knew and understood really well?
1: Well, at first it didn't fit in because I was just so shocked. I said, mm-hmm. I-, I just couldn't believe that there is science there is science to this. I mean, there are receptors and there's an endocannabinoid system and it, it all makes perfect sense to be now. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we still aren't training medical professionals about the endocannabinoid system and about medical cannabis to me is is, it's such a tragedy and mm-hmm. it's preventing so many people from finding relief using plant-based medicine. So I guess at first, I was just stunned. And then, again, the pieces started started to fall together. And I said, Oh, okay, okay, this is this is all coming together for me as to why, why it actually works.
0: Yeah. And um, so when did you start to um, develop your Janibus Wellness brand? And how did all of that come about?
1: Well, I first came out at an annual meeting yes. of dietitians, and I had a little card printed that said Cannabis Janus, mm. and I passed it around to my friends, and one friend reached out to me afterwards, and she said, I'm really excited about what you're doing, but you really need a better name than Cannabis Janus, <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? It's kind of catchy, and my friends started calling me Janibus. Mm. Hey, Janibus, what's what's up? So then I thought, okay, I need a professional, a more professional sounding business. So I became Janibus. I said, it needs something. So Janibus Health, Janibus, I went with Janibus Wellness. Yeah, I started that and started counseling people. And I, I realized that I needed to recommend product to them, right? Mm -hmm. And the FDA had done the study that showed that 70% of products are mislabeled and some have zero CBD. And as you know, it's the wild, wild west out there as far as CBD products. So with an intern, I did three weeks worth of uh, research and tried to find a good quality product. You know, it had to be not not isolate, broad spectrum or full spectrum, but full spectrum was an issue because of the legal issues. So I found a company mm-hmm. in Colorado that grew organically. So I reached out and I said, "Okay, I want to recommend your product. How do I do that?" And they said, "Oh no, we don't we don't sell retail. We only do wholesale. We only do white labeling." And I thought, honest, Jason, I did not know what white labeling was. <laughs> And I thought, there is no way I'm doing this. And then I thought about it and I said, that's really the only way that I can guarantee the quality. Mm-hmm. So I did, I jumped in, you know, all, all, both feet. And I decided to source this, uh, this broad spectrum CBD product from this, a company. And I have my Janivus wellness label on it. And I have you know topicals and tinctures and water soluble and dog and cat chews for, uh, for the four legged creatures out there. And so that's, yeah, that's what I do. I offer consulting and then some people just order off my website. They, they don't, they just have heard about my product from friends and they just, they just order their CBD. And so it's
0: yeah. been great. And, and <clears throat> jumping ahead to, well, I guess before I get there, I want to go back to when you sort of came out of the sort of cannabis closet. Um, cause I think a lot of us, um, have moments like that, especially those of us that, for a lack of a better way of saying it, kind of have come from more of a um, sort of like a square community, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and then you have to like finally announce this sort of taboo thing to people. Um, But what was that like for you? Were you nervous, scared um, when you were preparing to do that?
1: You know, I was a little bit and I did get some pushback and i still do sometimes when i speak at annual meetings in uh, the state state academy of nutrition and dietetics sometimes i'll have dietitians who say that is not in our in our realm you know this is what we were taught and this is what we should be teaching people and mm-hmm. i said well nobody was taught this more than a few years ago i mean now some some colleges teach it. And, you know, as you know, John Patrick University is now starting this whole master's in integrative and functional nutrition with a concentration in cannabinoid medical sciences. But Mm -hmm. back five years ago, that just wasn't the case. And even now, med schools, many of them don't teach about the endocannabinoid system. So I felt, truthfully, I felt that it was my my responsibility to come out because I've had a lot of younger dietitians reach out to me. And I'm a seasoned dietitian. I've been in the field for a few decades and I've achieved a level of credibility. Let's Mm -hmm. say that I'm relatively well known in the field, whatever, written some books. So people respect me. And so I felt like that's Mm -hmm. my job to come out because these younger dietitians who say to me, you know, I want to do what you do, but you know, if you're 22 and you say, okay, now I'm I'm a cannabis um, practitioner, it's a little bit harder for them. So I sort of want to pave the way for them so that they can do that. And people will say, okay, there is science behind this. So I think in the coming years, it's only going to get easier as people start understanding because people don't know what they don't know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a big thing. And- <clears throat> And looking at it today, do some of these, um, uh, you know, professional groups that you've been associated with for so long, are they starting to come around to this idea that actually cannabis, cannabinoids, you know, that, that these really do fit in in the realm of, of a nutritional science and, and all of that?
1: Many of them are coming around, but some of them are not. Um, yeah. Even my Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, I paid for a booth at our annual conference, I think it was maybe two years ago. And I was going to give information about cannabis and CBD. That was before I had my book and I wasn't even going to sell product. And they said no, because the FDA does not approve of CBD. So I could not even talk about CBD at my booth after paying them $500. Okay. Yeah. So that was absolutely stunning to me. So next year I'll, I'll, I'll try again. Now that I have a book, I can say, I'm, you know, I want to be at my booth and sell my book and I'm hoping that they will allow it now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully so. I mean, given some of the even international changes that are happening around perception around cbd particularly um right. it, it it seems like quickly people are starting to to lighten up but um it's it's interesting because you know from my perspective um you know when we just talk about the endocannabinoid system i mean it 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 confronts diet and nutrition head-on um because Uh, when you're learning about the sort of um, biosynthetic pathways that lead to endocannabinoid production. Okay. Well then you start talking about, um, arachidonic acid. You got to have arachidonic acid. If you're, you know, going to produce, um, these endocannabinoids, Well, where do you get arachidonic acid from? Um, I think some people don't necessarily understand that, um, arachidonic acid typically we're not, we're, we're getting it from other precursors, usually omega-6 fatty acids. Um, and uh, sometimes arachidonic acid gets talked about as an essential fatty acid, but it's it's really not unless you're deficient in omega-3, omega-6 fatty acids. Um, and so just from my perspective, just looking at cannabinoid science, like that is just so indicative of, you know, the role that cannabinoids fit in nutrition science, um, right. that like diet is a, a huge piece of this puzzle. You cannot talk about cannabinoid science and health without acknowledging the role that diet plays.
1: Yes. And you know I was thinking recently Jason that you know the the no fat remember I you, you Oh know, yeah. in the 90s yeah. it was all about snackwell cookies and you don't want fat because that's bad. And I think about that and so all these these fatty acids the omega 3s the omega 6s that we need for good health which I mean I knew we needed them for good health I did not understand back in the day why it's so important for the endo, you know, cannabinoid system and and all the rest but i think about that now and i think whoa we were totally messing with our endocannabinoid system by going on these really low-fat diets
0: yep it's something that i um think about a lot that um a lot of sort of diet trends um yeah, And they haven't been able to take the endocannabinoid system into account up until recently. Just the education and awareness hasn't really been there. But, you know, now I feel like there's not a very good excuse anymore because there's so much information available and more and more people, you know, kind of coming out and talking about all this stuff. Um, um, but, you know, the the consequences of diet fads on the endocannabinoid system is really interesting to think about. Um, and likewise, something that came up in another recent interview that, um, I thought was another really good point are how, what are the, some of the side effects of medications that people are taking on the endocannabinoid system as well. And Mm -hmm. the interplay between the diet and medications you're taking and how that's changing your gut, changing all these other things. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a really fascinating puzzle and it's really interesting that, um, yeah that that's just not really been accounted for through these yeah decades and decades of different fat trends and yeah right. no fat or um <clears throat> and it, it seems like we're we're starting to come around to that people are starting to learn that like no if you you do need fats and there's now this concept of like healthy fats right um but yeah it's it's a uh, it's an interesting thing and i can only imagine from your perspective too because even if you didn't know anything about the endocannabinoid system some of these dietary fads are so funny just uh for other reason, <laughs> other reasons that yeah, don't make sense
1: exactly no fat high fat no carb high carb you know there's just so many so many fads and it really it it, it all boils down to you know, eat a variety of foods, mostly plants, um, you know, high quality fats, nuts, beans, avocados. And, but that's not that sexy. I mean, I'm not going to celebrate, you know, eat, eat these kind of foods. So.
0: Yeah. And it, it's, it's funny. Um, I was, I, th- I think it was Dr. Vincenzo DiMarzo I was talking to recently, um, and I was we were it might have been off camera, but we were talking about how um some of his endocannabinoid system endocannabinoid dome research it's kind of funny because it's the stuff we're learning about the endocannabinoid system is sort of validating that very classic wisdom of like, hey, you should move around more and you should just eat like just basic yeah, uh foods that we all know are quote unquote healthy, but we you know mm-hmm. don't take into account enough, but it's like, yeah, exercise more and eat better
1: right? Duh. duh. I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so when you started working, uh, with people and, and trying to help them get connected to good products and everything, um, what patterns did you start to see? What sort of outcomes did you start noticing, um, as you kind of moved from this realm of, of learning to practicing and, and really kind of, Getting your hands dirty with all of this.
1: Well, you know, I I guess what I found early on is that people tend to see a decrease in anxiety mm-hmm. you know, with CBD. That's that's one of the first things people say, you know, it just takes the edge off. And I just feel a little bit more even. And so that's that was that was interesting. And then, you know, for pain experimenting with the different whether it's a topical, or some people who have, for example, knee pain, topical mm-hmm. salve really has worked well with most of them. And yet back pain is a little trickier. So you can apply a topical but I, I didn't see as as high a success rate. So you know, some people need more system wide uh, medicine. Yeah.
0: <coughs> Sorry. Oh, actually what makes any clear my head throat, head throat head. too. Oh. <clears>
1: throat> all right that.
0: <laughs> well, and I can I can relate to that, particularly cuz like I mentioned with my chronic pain, all of my chronic pain is from um like spinal cord injuries that I've had and it's all nerve-based. Uh-huh. Um and I've found particularly for that um, I almost always have to ingest, get it systemically. And, and I think it's about getting it to the brain and, you know, changing the signaling in the brain, those pain signals, trying to, uh, I always describe it as just like dialing down that gain, dialing down that volume. Um, whereas, yeah, like more um, like my mom, for instance, uh, that has pretty severe, um, uh, all sorts of different issues. Um, but has like swelling, arthritis issues, you know, different stuff like that. And uses, um, there's a salve that I give her, uh, fairly frequently that she uses all the time and says works better than any, uh, pill that she's ever taken. Um, it is. Yeah. And then I teach her like, Hey, throw some coconut, coconut oil in there and like dilute it a little bit, make it last longer, (laughs) little tricks like that. Um, but you know, it it is an interesting, um, difference there. that different types of pain require different approaches.
1: Right, right. Sleep is the one that's, that's real tricky Mm -hmm. um, working with people because, you know, as you know, low doses of CBD can actually be energizing for some people. I have people who take four drops of my water soluble, um, broad spectrum CBD, and they say, sleep, I sleep like a baby. And then other people who take that small dose of CBD, say, No, not at all. If anything, it energizes me. So, you know, everyone, as you know, everyone's endocannabinoid system is different. And what works for you might not work for me. And the dose for you is going to be different from, you Mm -hmm. know, the dose of, you know, your next door neighbor. So it's a lot of, you know, working with people. And I try to say to people, don't get frustrated. This isn't something that on day two, You know you're gonna throw away your crutches and like go dancing down the uh down the hall you have to give it time and you have to be able to play with the dosing and the product some people like a soft gel i mean it's convenient i take a daily soft gel i like that other people don't see results could it be the sip 450 enzyme system that maybe they're lacking and they can't metabolize it so it's a matter of really a little bit of trial and error in working with people to figure out what's best
0: yeah and connecting to the <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> we're synchronizing <laughs> <laughs> um and connecting to the the nutrition side do you notice any patterns around how people respond to cbd um in connection to their their diets and their their typical lifestyle choices
1: you know i can't say that i have teased that out i always talk Mm -hmm. to people about their diet and exercise and lifestyle and stress management and you know good sleep hygiene but i I can't say that okay so this person you know eats this or has this kind of a diet and sees a better a better response
0: that's That's actually pretty interesting to know Um, because I mean, I guess over time as we get bigger data sets might tease something out, but that's something that's always been on my mind wondering like how is what you're eating affecting your response to cannabinoids? Is it somehow? Mm
1: -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. I do encourage people to, to get fat in their diet, especially when you're taking, for example, a soft gel. I always say, okay, Take this couple of hours I have a product that has a milligram of melatonin for people who have a hard time mm-hmm. sleeping, and I say, take it a couple of hours before bed and just eat like a handful of walnut halves that'll increase mm. absorption. you know walnuts are you know good healthy omega three fats and uh so I try to incorporate that into their into their routine,
0: yeah, and have you seen any um instances where c p d has um, or cannabinoids in general, because we're also talking about like broader spectrum extracts. So it's not just CBD, but um, the times when it seemed to either not work or uh, possibly interact with a medication anyone's taking or just things didn't quite go the way you expected.
1: Yeah. I mean, there are some people who say they don't see dramatic relief. I have some people who see life-changing results and I have people who say, meh didn't really do a whole lot. Now, did mm-hmm. they not give it enough time is, you know, and it I means these products aren't cheap. So, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, when you're spending hundred dollars and you say, meh, doesn't really work that great. Uh, you know, uh, are you going to try it for another two months right. when it may or may not work? So that's, that's a challenge certainly right there. Um, but yeah, it's just a matter of kind of figuring out and Again, we don't know. Delete that. Um, and also, uh, with regards to medications, I always talk to people about what medications are you taking. So if someone mm-hmm. says, I'm taking Coumadin, yeah. I'm not going to suggest a soft gel to be taken you know, around their Coumadin time because it could interfere with the levels of Coumadin in their blood or any medication with a sort of a narrow therapeutic window. Mm-hmm. So I would steer them towards a tincture that avoids that first pass metabolism and take it separate. Even doing that, I still am very cautious with, with something like a Yeah.
0: Yeah. And try to make sure that they get that metabolized in their body first before the the cannabinoids kind of come through and do their thing. Yeah. I think that's a, a really smart approach. And as you continue to study um cannabis and cannabinoids. Um what sort of what areas of the kind of science and everything around cannabis and cannabinoids is really grabbing your attention these days that's really um kind of kind of piquing your your passion a little bit?
1: Well I think um partly the endocannabinome that you talked ah, yeah. about in your podcast recently that's fascinating to me. I mean I think that the the interaction, the interplay between the gut and the brain is completely fascinating. I mean, we all know, oh, you know, butterflies in your stomach, uh, you know, when you get nervous. Well, there is such a relationship there that, you know, we sort of know, but I think that the science around that that's evolving is is truly fascinating.
0: Absolutely. It's something that um, it seems like over the past couple decades or so we've really started to um on a research level really dive into looking at all of that and i'm fascinated to see um what we learn in the next 10 20 years um it's you're right that it's something that we've sort of intuitively we intuitively have a sense of that we Uh, think with our our gut (laughs) you know we go with our gut uh, you know and all all of these things and then you know in the 90s and early 2000s stuff we started to learn about um, like the enteric nervous system and these relationships um, uh, between the gut microflora and um, the enteric nervous system and the central nervous system and all these different things and now we're learning that you you can have uh that possibly certain even like personality traits and brain phenotypes can be correlated with gut uh you know descriptions um phenotypes um so yeah it, there's so much to to learn there and it's something i'm i'm really interested to understand is how um how microorganisms in the gut might create uh, might sort of be like uh, manufacturers of drugs for us that then um, pass along and possibly uh, pass through intestinal walls and that sort of thing to get in the mm-hmm. blood. That's something I've really been thinking about a lot lately. And like, there's got to be some interesting things going on there that um, so we still don't even understand necessarily like what's a good uh, community of, of gut microorganisms to have. There's a few main ones that we studied, but it, it's still... Um, it's still a lot there and there's more cells in the uh the gut microbiome than there are in your body so it's uh, <laughs> it's it's a big big complex problem but i i agree yeah and, and um let's talk about your books um what did the development of that book look like how long ago did you start working on it and what sort of gave you the um inspiration to to want to write a book about cbd the simple guide to cbd
1: simple guide to CBD fact fiction and a path forward. So, you know, I started this earlier this year, early 2020. And well, I had plenty of time since I had eight talks scheduled and they were all canceled due to COVID. So I had time at home. So I just decided to put together it's and it is it says simple guide, it is a simple guide. It's just, you know, 40 or 50 pages, it just has a description of the endocannabinoid system and see what is CBD and what are other cannabinoids and what about dosing and what might it do for me and how do you, how do you take it? And then there's a journal in the back where you can write down, you know, what you took, how Mm -hmm. you felt just to help people find that, that minimum effective dose that we're, that we're looking for and a little glossary. And I have a few recipes in here too. Oh, nice. um, Using CBD oil just simple sugar and spice nuts. So, you know, you use some of the water-soluble uh, tincture and um, black bean brownies with uh, peppermint Ooh. tincture. So it was just something that I said, I really thought it would be helpful for my clients. And then I said, okay, well, I may as well put it up on Amazon and, you know, have it available for anyone who wants more information, science-based information about CBD
0: yeah and, and it's cool you' you're bringing up the idea of cooking with CBD because um, in, you know cooking with cannabis is very popular in the sense of uh, THC. Um, but I, I haven't heard a lot of people talking about cooking with CBD. Um, so that's that's really cool to hear that you've got recipes in there and, and everything. Do you have a um, sort of a, a preferred uh, CBD infused uh, food?
1: Well, truthfully. I, I like the black bean brownies, these, I these brownies. I've, I've given people these brownies without the peppermint CBD. And I say, what do you think the secret ingredient is? And nobody knows, but they're black beans. So, you know, I'm a dietician, so I can't, I can't take, you can't take that away from me. Um, so, it's, you know, it's got some nice fiber in there and some really great nutrition and protein, and yet it's got some CBD. So for some of my older clients, it's nice for them to be able to you Know, eat a little bit of something that yeah. will give them relief, um, you know, for the longer term. So that's, yeah, that's what I did. I have smoothies and pudding and uh, a CBD tonic that's really great. It's got um, turmeric, cinnamon, and ginger. Ooh. Man, yeah. that's a little bit of honey. Yes. So, so that was sort of a fun, a fun project to work on.
0: Absolutely. And, and part of the book is, is talking about separating fact from fiction. So one thing I, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the common um, sort of myths or misconceptions that you commonly encounter with people about CBD?
1: Well, I think a lot of people, they don't understand the difference between various products. So they might go to Bed Bath mm-hmm. & Beyond and see CBD. For Get a years. pillow. <laughs> right. And um, you know, the, people most people don't understand that a cbd isolate is very different from uh, yeah. a real plant based product and that it's you know a single molecule might offer some relief but the beauty is in the synergy between all the cannabinoids and terpenes and flavonoids in the plant so i think it's a myth that you know all cbd is is uh, the same and equal because we know that's not true and there's another myth that THC is the bad cannabinoid. Yeah, and, you know it's it's not. And I I try to explain to my clients. I mean, my products don't have THC because I have clients who are drug tested or working, you know, truck drivers and and just for legal reasons. Mm-hmm. But if someone doesn't see adequate relief using a broad spectrum product like mine, I just say let's add a little bit of THC, and they're like, oh no no no. I said no a little bit. I'm talking about one or 2 milligrams. It's not going to make you high and it's going to really up the effect of the the CBD product. So I think that's a huge misconception that that THC is bad because people think of, you know, stoners who they they just mm-hmm. overconsume THC and they just end up being, you know, couch potatoes, and that's people's, that still is people's perception of cannabis, many, many people. I just, there was a quote uh, that was in one of my lectures from someone in 2015 from the DEA (laughs) saying that you can't tell me that there is anything medicinal about cannabis. This is in 2015. I mean, yeah, I can see that back, back maybe in the 70s when we, you know, it was it was all bad you know there was so much rhetoric about it and
0: sure yeah
1: nowadays come on there's enough information out there there's enough science out there that you really should you sh- should have a clue about this
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it's get it's getting to the point too where um almost everybody knows somebody who is using either THC-rich cannabis or CBD or CBG hemp products um, on a regular basis for therapeutic purposes. So, um,
1: I've said that many times, that until you or someone you love finds relief using this plant, you probably won't fully understand. And I did. I'm guilty of that. You know, again, I grew up in the just-say-no generation, and I bought into that. I didn't think, I was like, yeah, medical marijuana. I didn't get it. I totally didn't get it. I'm embarrassed by the fact that I didn't that I didn't know that. But, and I think that right now, you know, the doctors out there and the medical professionals who say there's not enough research or, you know, you don't want to do that because you're old and it might interfere. I think they have honestly a professional and moral obligation to be educated, to pursue yeah. education. I mean, it's it's fine that they don't understand. You can't fault them for that. They weren't trained in that. I was not trained in it. So you can't fault them for that. However, it wouldn't take much for them to get a little bit of education and to just sort of reach out and learn about this. Because once you learn about the endocannabinoid system, it's kind of like, oh, well, duh, <laughs> That's why this plant works because we have receptors for, that will accept both our endogenous cannabinoids and and 2-AG, but also the cannabinoids in the plant. So, I mean, once you learn it, it's just like, you know, that I could have had a V8, you know, you sort of hit yourself in the (laughs) head and say, I can't believe I didn't know that. But I do think that, that medical professionals, they do have an obligation to learn. I,
0: I really agree. And I think, um, they might have been in that endocannabinoid dome episode you referred to, but I think I made a comment that in the near future, given the way that research is progressing and how clear um you know that these systems are involved in every part of our physiology it seems like um that it it would like at what point does it become medical negligence to not Have education about that. You know, if a doctor practiced medicine, and let's say they were treating somebody for an inflammatory disease, um, and they didn't understand what like leukotrienes are, or prostaglandins, or something, or if someone was treating a psychiatric disorder and they didn't understand serotonin receptors and um, adrenaline and GABA and glutamate, you know, it it relates to that. It's like you you have you at this point you have to know this. I mean, it's a critical part of understanding human physiology and to not just even understand that it's a thing is going to mean that you're going to be practicing medicine um, just ignoring this thing that touches everything else. Um, It's, yeah, I agree. I do think that there's, at this point, so much information is available that there is an obligation now on healthcare providers to at least understand um, basics. They don't have to understand in detail everything and I understand that doctors um are super busy and just the healthcare system is a big machine so you're just constantly, yeah. you know, uh dealing with stuff. But I think in that episode, one thing I mentioned was just acknowledging that the endocannabinoid system and the endocannabinoid dome is a thing. Just acknowledging that is a huge step forward. Because then when people come to you and say, you know, I'm interested in cannabis or cannabinoids or I've been trying this and it seems to be helping it's just your perspective is so very different and the way you're going to process what your patient says to you is going to be very different. Um, Mm -hmm. And instead of that knee jerk reaction of, we don't know about this, like, I don't know, just say no. It becomes a thing of like, okay, yeah, I have some basic sense of, you know, yeah, that's probably doing something. Let's look into that and, and chart what's, what's going on and and just see.
1: Right. Um, And it's interesting because a lot of patients will not mention to their doctors that they yeah. are using cannabis to help treat a disease, which is, it's that's awful that they can't, they don't feel like they can share that because they fear that they will be judged and they are judged by some doctors and medical professionals. So, and if a doctor doesn't fully understand, which again, that makes perfect sense, they at least should be open to it and say, you know, there is some good research on this. I am not an expert, but here is who you can talk to about it. Yeah. That's it's. When I was a dietitian, people would come and say, "Oh my, uh, you know, my cousin has diabetes. Could you help?" I am not an expert in diabetes. That's not my expertise. But there are people out there who would be better um, able to help. Mm-hmm. So I think at least being open to it. And referring out to mm-hmm. either a doctor or a cannabis practitioner or a nurse or someone who has been trained in this, I think it is their obligation to do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's part of what a healthcare professional, you know, the pledge that they make, um, trying to, I mean, not only to minimize harm and everything, but to, you know, also steer their patients towards um, the information that they need, you know, as healthcare professionals, it's like, you're the gatekeeper. The patient doesn't know they're coming to you with a problem. It's up to you to send them on a path that's, you know, you don't have to be the the know-it-all that is going to address every problem. You just have to facilitate that process of getting them along their way. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. And, things are improving a little bit. I've heard there are a couple of medical schools now in the United States that are now teaching about the ECS, um, on a basic level, which is great to hear. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, who knows, maybe in 10 years or so, 15 years, maybe it'll be a common thing. Um, but you still got to educate all the doctors that have already graduated. True. And so, um, what are your thoughts on CBG as that's now entering the hemp market and starting to become really popular? Are you running into um uh people that are starting to ask about CBG? Is it starting to become a because it's something that I think is more probably bigger out here in Oregon where all the hemp farmers are are diving in and, and growing it all? But I've wondered, you know, on the on the East Coast and everything, if it's really caught on out there.
1: No, I've never had anyone ask. <laughs> cbg i mean you know i've followed it and i and i'm very interested in it but no one has ever asked me about cbg here on the east coast yet
0: yeah yeah i'm sure they will probably this time next year it usually takes about a year so um yep and what about um cbn that's another another cannabinoid that's becoming really popular in the hemp space that's being blended with cbd a lot is that something that you're working with
1: you know, I don't have a product yet, but I have looked at various products of CBN for my clients who have issues with sleeping, and you know that's a good cannabinoid. It's a little sedating and uh, can help some people sleep. And I've had mixed results when mm-hmm. I've shared uh, CBN products with with uh, friends, mostly. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of potential there too. I think it's all the cannabinoids are fascinating, and I think. Mm-hmm. In the next in the coming years that it's just going to be even more more exciting when we start incorporating the cbgs and the cbn's and some of these other minor cannabinoids into products i think it's going to be exciting
0: oh yeah absolutely and it's going to become a little overwhelming too because already um i'm being exposed to products that have um you know i'm used to seeing ratios of thc to cbd But now we're seeing ratios of CBD to CBG to CBN and all of these permutations in between. And um, uh, someone filed a patent on a um, CBC dominant cannabis variety that they genetically modified and made. So we're probably going to start seeing CBC dominant cannabis extracts hit the market in the next couple of years. Um, So it's just like, (laughs) it's like if people think it's confusing now... um, it's about to get a a whole lot more confusing, but it is also exciting because it also means there are more tools available um, to explore and a lot more to learn about. Um, so I'm really, really interested to, to see how that goes Mm -hmm. and where you are in Massachusetts. Um, what are, I mean, you've mentioned a few of the different products like tinctures and soft gels and everything, but, um, what do you find that people tend to gravitate to the most are they tending to um kind of primarily aim towards topicals and tinctures or what seems to be most popular
1: you know it's it depends on the person but yeah. I would, say, you know a general tincture for under the tongue is is very popular i think some people prefer that that the daily soft gel just because it's convenient Mm-hmm. And you only have to dose once a day for for the most part, but topical is is great for a lot of people too. Especially people who are afraid. There are people who are afraid to take CBD internally. They mm-hmm. just they don't take any medications, or they do take medications and they're afraid of an interaction. Yeah. So you know, I, I look at a topical sort of as a gateway, a gateway <laughs> to. Uh, to cbd they see oh wow it's effective when i put it on my knee decreasing Mm -hmm. inflammation i wonder what would happen if i ingested it maybe it would decrease inflammation over my whole body so
0: yeah and when you are this just popped in my mind being from the southeast an issue that would come about a lot um if you're talking to someone who is resistant to trying cbd or cannabis do you ever run into like a like religious dilemmas or or someone feels that like because of their background in church or whatever that like cannabis is off limits um do you ever have to talk people through that kind of um issue
1: i have never had someone mention that to me that Mm -hmm. that it would be a religious reason that they wouldn't use it it would be more the stigma
0: Mm -hmm. yeah
1: you know they don't believe it's it's real medicine and they are embarrassed. Mm. I mean, I talked a couple of years ago in Massachusetts to a bunch of dietitians and I had a woman reach out the day before she's a dietitian and she said I saw you on the schedule for tomorrow and thank you for giving this talk about, you know, cannabis as medicine. She said I've used cannabis for several years to manage my inflammatory bowel disease. So I said, Oh, wow, that's great. She said, It's just been amazing. And I said, Can I mention this in my talk tomorrow? And she said, Don't have any identifying information because my coworkers will be at the conference and -hmm. they don't know that I use this. How sad is that? That she's using a medicine to manage her disease and she's embarrassed to share with her coworkers that she's using it but that's that's the way a lot of people feel that they won't share it with their friends with their with their colleagues with their family because they they have a fear of being judged and rightfully so cuz many people still do judge uh cannabis users
0: yeah i mean it's true and that's why my brain is on there just thinking about where i've come from you know the the stigma issue is so um so significant and i think a lot of people don't well for one out here on the west coast a lot of people have a lot of trouble understanding uh the mentality of, of folks from where i come from uh just because <laughs> it's just like totally different worlds um but i think people um don't think about the fact that even with cbd there's still a big stigma yes. That it's it's not just a stigma around thc um, that, that even hemp also has that stigma, um, particularly um in the southeast and um in the east on the east coast and everything like that. Um and it's a fascinating thing to me, just the the concept of stigma and how we build these impressions in our minds um about things that we've never experienced, you know. It's it's very fascinating to be so passionately fearful or judgmental or whatever about something that you've you've never even had any direct experience with um mm-hmm. and it, it's always something that when we have an opportunity to talk about it on the podcast i like to because like i said in, in places like oregon and washington california and colorado like uh, they think they understand stigma and everything but it, they really don't don't know just how severe it is and what it's like to live with that i mean it's a really big deal when people depending on who you sort of come out to, it can totally upend your professional life. Um, You know, uh, where I'm from, going to church is like, you know, this huge social thing. Well, if you come out that you're a cannabis user and your community doesn't uh, view that as as, uh, a positive thing, well, then you've possibly just totally sacrificed your entire social life as well not just your professional career so it's um it's a huge thing and it's something that i really appreciate what you said of like using your experience and um you know professional clout and everything to try to lay this foundation forward because there are a lot of people that are sort of sitting in silence experiencing these things wrestling with the stigma wrestling with like well, okay. I've been using this, and it seems to work. But like, I need to hide it. I can't let anybody know, or I'm scared that you know my family is gonna you know think something. And um, yeah, it's it's just something I, I I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. Other than that, I just want to comment to people listening that you know to keep in mind that that is still a dynamic to this. Um, and when we're talking to people that are new. cannabis and cbd no matter the context we kind of have to um i don't know it's important to to approach it in a way that's very sensitive and and don't make assumptions you know that that people aren't wrestling with, with those sort of taboos and stigmas and things exactly right and so what's what's kind of on the horizon for you now so you've you know you've dialed in this um you know product brand that you trust that you've been getting experience you know getting people connected to and seeing how they're responding you've got this new book that you're connecting people with um so and of course covid has upended things for so many people this year um definitely myself included likewise i had all sorts of things scheduled out and mm-hmm. traveling speaking engagements all sorts of different things and that all totally changed um But uh, what does sort of the more immediate future look like for you? And um, yeah, what are you excited about?
1: Well, I'm excited about teaching my cannabis therapy class in January at at, uh, John Patrick University. That's exciting and that's keeping me very busy. Um, I think I might, I thought about maybe, you know, the simple guide to CBD. I thought maybe of writing a simple guide to growing cannabis for. Real novices, people who just want to put a plant in their backyard, because I've done that for two years. The first year, I was totally unsuccessful. I got nothing, nothing. I got five (laughs) males and a female, and the female died. So I was just awful. And then the next year, I turned to a friend's son who who grows professionally, and he gave me a plant. And I managed to let that, that, that plant grow, and I harvested it. So I thought it would be fun to do a really simple guide on how do you grow a plant? You know, how do you dry it? How do you cure it? How do you, you know, how do you harvest it? What do you do? And then once you have your little, little buds, what do you do with it? If you're not going to smoke it, I mean, how do you prepare it to either cook with it? Or So maybe next year I will, I will work on that. But that basically that and, and teaching is going to keep me, keep me busy. I think through 2021.
0: yeah yeah definitely um well i think that would be really cool because a lot of the cultivation books that have been written are really geared towards um people that are trying to grow cannabis um for sale whether black market or or legal it's like more you know intensive and a lot of detail and a lot of like um colloquial language that may not make sense to somebody who's totally new. Um, yes. So um, yeah, that would be cool. Especially if it's like the book that you have, just like 40 pages and just nuts and bolts. Yes.
1: Yep. Yeah. That's- and we'll see.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, awesome. Well, I know we're we're coming up on the hour here, so I want to be respectful of your time, but this has been a, a really fun conversation. And generally in the last five minutes or so of, uh, of these interviews, I like to hand off the, Platform to the guest. Um, if there are any, uh, well, first of all, if there are any topics or ideas that we haven't gone into that's been on your mind that you think would be worth um, diving into, I'm happy to do that. Otherwise, um, feel free to let everybody know how to learn more about Janibus Wellness and how to find your book, how to find your um, upcoming class, and pretty much anything else you want to say to close us out. I'll kind of hand it off to you.
1: All right. Well, let's see. Again, I'm Janice Bissex, and I'm a holistic cannabis practitioner at janivuswellness.com. That's where you can find lots of research studies. I have a resources page listed by condition, and some Mm. of the studies out there that show, okay, how is cannabis or CBD used for pain, or MS, or Parkinson's, and various conditions. And I have my uh, broad spectrum CBD products on there. And my book is there, and it's also on Amazon, Simple Guide to CBD. And I guess really, I'm really passionate about this whole, the whole stigma thing mm-hmm. regarding yeah. cannabis as medicine and cannabis as recreation. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's perfectly acceptable for me to come home. Well, I'm home now all the time, but <laughs> at the end of the day, so to have- leave the
0: office and step into the next room.
1: Upstairs. <laughs> so, for me to have a glass of wine is 100% socially acceptable, but for me to take a couple of puffs on a joint or or have a little cannabis edible for some reason, that's just not. And I I really think we need to change that. Um, and then there's the whole. I don't even want to get into the whole social. Justice and racial justice aspect mm-hmm. of cannabis because that would be another one hour. But I think that the advocacy and reducing the stigma is something that I'm very passionate about. And uh, I just look forward to seeing where where we go in the next decade. Is it? I mean, don't you? Aren't you excited about that? I mean, you look oh, at yeah. the timeline and what's happened with with learning about cannabis as medicine and the endocannabinoid system for the last 25 years. Imagine the next 25 years and what we will learn and, um, how more enlightened we'll both be in, in learning, uh, you know, new things.
0: Absolutely. I, I think about all the time, um, you know, I've been following cannabis news and developments and stuff since, I don't know, at least 2005 or so. And, I see what changed between then and 2015. And then I see what changed between 2015 and now. And there has been substantially way more that's changed between 2015 and now in that five years than it happened in the 10 years prior to that. And so it really makes my brain swirl (laughs) thinking about, um, you know, even just the next two and a half years, um, you know, as especially... One thing I've commented on before, but one thing that excites me about hemp is the possibilities of universities to finally start to work with cannabis and cannabinoids and for students um, to finally start to have some opportunities to work with it in the lab, to publish papers, to do uh, senior projects, you know, and, and really start to... this already growing tidal wave of research that's coming in Mm -hmm. every single month um and so you know i think that's going to be the beginning of um sort of one of the next big shifts that's going to drive a lot more information coming in is once once universities accept it don't see it as a federal liability anymore to work with the plant um well then you start empowering the younger generations that are going to be the next generation of scientists and dietitians and nurses and doctors, um, that are going to have a totally different, um, perception. I mean, they're going to be exposed to concepts and things that, you know, no one has been exposed to before at that early of a stage in a professional career. So, um, it's going to be really, really, really fascinating to see. And then of course, it seems like the dominoes are lining up for federal, uh, hopefully uh descheduling we'll see, you know, even if it doesn't happen this go around um, I think it's, it's just sort of destined to happen. Yeah. So absolutely. I'm really, really excited to see what happens in the next 10, 20 years and, and to be a part of that evolution is, is really exciting and, and something that I'm some ideas I'm particularly nursing is um, in the next two or three years, I really want to start to try to, tease out beyond the cannabis plant, how are other medicinal plants and agricultural crops um, affecting the endocannabinoid system and starting to, you know, get a more holistic idea of what's going on with cannabinoids and the endocannabinoid system. And because I I do view cannabis as being this sort of a launching point. To somewhere else. Um, I think the cannabinoids and the cannabis plant are amazing molecules. And the cannabis plant itself is an amazing medicinal plant. Um, but I think one of the biggest contributions it's going to have to science is changing the way we perceive all other plants and fungi and things that we ingest and drugs like it's it's really going to change a lot and even just the concept of what is a cannabinoid something I've ranted on many times on the podcast that people are probably rolling their eyes at now hearing me say again but I think our concept of what a cannabinoid is is going to evolve and change and I think we're going to start to recognize a lot of different compounds and other plants as if not cannabinoids then maybe like paracannabinoids or something cannabinoid like compounds, um, that have similar activities. Um, and that it's just, it's just going to be a domino effect we're going to just, it's, we're going through a a change in how we see health and wellness and and food and everything else. And and cannabis is a big part of that. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so much, Janice, for being willing to chat with me for the hour, everyone that's listening. Thanks for, for tuning in and, and making it through the hour with us. Um, If you want to learn more about Curious About Cannabis, go to cacpodcast.com or uh, find us on pretty much most of the social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Um, And with that, Janice, thanks so much. Um, And listeners, thanks so much. Everyone, stay curious and take it easy. Bye-bye. If you want to learn more about cannabis, check out the Curious About Cannabis book on Amazon.com and other major online book retailers.